Buongiorno, everybody, and welcome to Monday Morning Coffee Chat here on Adventures with Sarah. Uh, as always, every Monday at 10 o'clock in the morning, more or less, we're still 10 o'clock Italian time. Uh, I meet with friends of mine all over the world, all the interesting people I know, tour guides and scholars, and we just have a little chat and check in with each other. Uh, and a lot of these conversations have been spurred by the fact that we don't get to see each other on the road as we normally do. And we've created kind of an interesting community of just getting together. So this week's guest, is Reiner Metzger. Hello, Reiner. Buongiorno. Hey, Sarah. Buongiorno. So Reiner is a colleague of mine uh, from Rick Steves, and we've worked together at Rick Steves for, what, 16 years, something like that. And um, he leads tours primarily of Italy and then also does some of his own tours. He's going to be doing Morocco uh, this next year. Uh, and actually, what's very interesting, Reiner, is that we essentially have the same background. We do. That's right. Uh, we both got our start in international travel, I think you could say, um, in college through study abroad. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, that experience uh, absolutely changed my life. Uh, it was an extraordinary privilege to have that uh, as part of my college education. And, um, you know, really, I just uh, never stopped kind of being a, a student um, while traveling. And, uh, you know, here I am, what, 20 plus years later and still going. And the same with you, Sarah. Well, yeah. And, you know, I thought what would be kind of fun to talk about today, maybe it's a little nostalgic, but um, I think talking about origin stories is interesting because I'm not sure actually a lot of people know my origin story. And because we have the same one, it's sort of fascinating, which is that we both went to the UW, University of Washington, and uh, they had a study abroad program at the Rome Center off of Campo dei Fiori at the Palazzo Pio, which they still have. And uh, that's where I studied uh, architecture my, uh, in 1995, I studied architecture there. And you, what year did you study there? I was there in 97, so I was just two years behind you. Yeah, and for me, I just think that that, think, looking back on that, don't you think it was almost a different world? Oh yeah, for sure, absolutely. I mean, you know, Rome was a completely different place. Um, the Campo, Campo dei Fiori, for people that don't know, that's the, the field of flowers uh, that is now a market square. And you know, to, to basically live on the campo uh, and have right outside your window, this bustling market with fruits and vegetables and meats and cheeses and the baker and the, the forno, you must remember, Sarah, right? Yes, very fondly, Pizza Bianca. The bakery, yes, with the pizza Bianca, which is just, uh, it, it, that will change your life. Uh, even still today, some things never change, like the recipe for pizza Bianca. And to go in there, you know, um, you very, really quickly I learned uh, that that was the cheapest lunch for a college student trying to make their uh, lira at the time go as far as possible. Um, to go in there and, you know, you would wait uh, a couple of minutes and, and just sort of hold back until a fresh sheet of this pizza Bianca, which is sort of a, a flatbread um, pizza-like uh, specialty in Rome. And uh, you would just tell them how much you want, uh, un etto, due etti, and it would cost 50 cents or something, the equivalent thereof. And it was the best lunch and it would be hot and it would just, uh, you know, almost melt in your mouth. Uh, something so simple as just bread, basically, uh, that was life-changing. And um, I just, uh, you know, that was sort of the beginning of like, wow, things really do taste different here. Life is different here. You know, 
daily life customs, shopping in the market, um, and and you know going through uh, the fresh seasonal vegetables and learning how to cook on your own, and all of this sort of daily life happening in the background between classes in architecture and drawing and art and language. Um, it's really, yeah, to a totally formative experience. It was a very rich experience too. You had a different professor than I had, but I had sort of a very famous professor who was very eccentric. And uh, she felt that part of our education should not just be drawing and all of that, but she would always talk about reading the city. You must read the city. So she'd take us out on walks and we'd have to read the city. And the other thing that she did, which is benefiting the people who watch this program, is that she believed that cooking, learning how to cook, was a part of our architectural education. <laughs> so right. we had to go down into the compo and we had to buy vegetables and practice our language. And then we had to go to the butcher and learn how to, I'd never seen a butcher. Had you ever seen an actual butcher where they cut up bones? Well, yeah, my, my, window of the apartment that I was living in was literally right above uh, the butcher on uh, Piazza del Pichone, just off of the compo, just around the, the compo. So, you know, you'd, you'd hear the guys yelling in the morning, you'd hear them, there was the kind of chop, chop, chop of the cleaver, you know, uh, hammering away, we could kind of hear through the building almost, that's, the, that's one of the sounds you would wake up to. And then you'd look out the window in the morning, and there are these guys carrying these huge carcasses into the into the butcher shop and uh, processing them and daily customers coming through. It was fantastic. But the professor you're talking about is uh, Ostra Zarina, right? Yeah. Uh, a legendary professor um, at the University of Washington. Uh, she passed a, a number of years ago, but um, she is, uh, she, she has sort of opened up Italy to a whole generation of people at the University of Washington and even beyond and, and even, you know, even Rick Steves in a way, because of course she started the Italian studies program 50 years ago, actually this year in 19, I believe it was 1970, because they were planning a 50, uh, 50 year anniversary of that Italian studies program to have a celebration happen this fall. That obviously is, those plans have changed, they've been postponed, um, but she started that program in Civita, Civita de Bagnareggio in, um, in, in Umbria, I think it's actually in- It's in Lazio. Lazio. Yeah, it's in northern yeah. Lazio, but you kind of approach it from the Umbrian side. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so um, students were, you know, would go there in the 1970s, a whole generation of students that, you know, foreign study was sort of new to them. Uh, it was a new concept, um, but she eventually then moved the program to Rome, acquiring this incredible property right off of Campo di Fiori that we've been talking about. And that was uh, the beginnings of the, of the Rome Center. Um, and it's still, uh, you know, the, the pride of, uh, or the gem, the jewel, you could say, of all the foreign study program facilities in Rome. I mean, it really is uh, one of the best, if not the best facilities. It's in a Renaissance palazzo built, you know, on top of a, into a, a medieval building built on top of uh, the ruins of the theater of Pompey. Uh, going back to ancient Roman times. So and, and her, and Austria and her husband, Tony, were the ones who did all the renovations on it too, which I, I just always found incredible. I'm not sure you could even do that kind of thing now, but. Yeah, uh, the university is renovating the Rome Center as we speak, uh, as I understand, like even through, um, even through this pandemic work is, is slowly 
um, coming along that, uh, what is it, the, is it the, the second floor, the big conference room yeah. that they have there, and they, they've had some apartments sort of uh, off of the corridor. Uh, they're redoing all of those rooms. Um, and I'm, I haven't seen it, obviously, but I'm excited to go back, uh, you know, as soon as possible. Next trip to Rome, Sarah, we'll have to go and, and uh, check out the new Rome Center. Yeah, actually, that's a good idea. Yeah, and I have some friends who are um, who are professors who teach there, so I'd be interested to see what their take on that is. But I would say that you know the that you could almost say that Astra is the the beginnings of Rick Steves, really, in the sense that I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure he only went there because he had friends who who were there because of Astra. There's no other way he'd have found Chivita, and her story was so funny that she would tell that she. Uh, was studying uh, at the American School at Rome. She was like a basically a fellow. She's one of the first women to ever study at the American School in Rome, uh, which is a huge getting the Rome Prize, which is a huge, huge honor. But she got it in the '60s, and uh, so she was studying there in the '60s with I think it was Robert Venturi, I believe was the person she studied with, a very, very famous architect. And she just used to tell stories about how yeah, on the weekends we didn't have anything to do, so we'd go wandering around. And you know, at that time Italy was so poor that I went to this magical hill town and the people there were begging us to buy their property from them because they wanted to get out of there. And so she and her husband, Tony, ended up acquiring a number of buildings on Civita di Bagnoreggio over the years and then started the, the, the study abroad program there. And now Civita, I honestly think, would probably have fallen into the valley by now if it wasn't for her interventions there. Yeah, that, that might be true, you know, I mean, tourism kind of saved that town in a way because it gave the town some revenue uh, that they desperately needed to stabilize the, the, the cliff walls that surround the town. Uh, because you're right, it was absolutely, you know, sloughing away, landsliding down into the valley. And uh, yeah, if folks have never seen Civita de Bagnerejo, um, you gotta go, you gotta check it out because it is just the most dramatic hill town. Uh, it takes your breath away every time, you know, you go to that Belvedere overlook, you kind of come around the corner, and you take it in for the first time. It's just, uh, it's yeah. magical. Absolutely. So it Sarah, so, so just uh, thinking more a little bit about Astra and, uh, you know, uh, the formation of kind of both of our travel careers, you're also an artist, right? And so, um, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, I, I learned how to draw in Rome and I'm sure you did as well going out into the city um you know I remember I did, yeah I, well that's a funny, a funny story actually because the way I ended up getting to be pretty good at watercolor and sketching was because I was super broke <laughs> I was the only student in my class who was putting themselves through school and so I was on a, I mean, I remember I had $20 a week, $20 per week to pay for food and all of my expenses, which, you know, sounds insane, but back then it was possible. I mean, I, I basically ate pasta and mushrooms every day, uh, but I saved up every week. I would put away like a dollar or two. And then I remember going to Podgy. Remember uh, Podgy yes. is a, the art store. And yeah. I saved up enough to get a nice paintbrush. So when all my friends were like, we're going skiing in Cortina this weekend, want to come? I'm like, <laughs> Yes, you trust fun babies go have fun. Uh, I'm going to stay home. And so I was left alone in my apartment in Rome 
every single weekend because all of my friends had the money to go travel a lot. And so I would just wander the city and draw and paint because it was, the city was my companion. And, you know, that I think was a huge thing, but I would just, you know, like to kind of just quickly get back and just acknowledge that I wouldn't be the person I am today without Ostra. I am who I am because of her. She was probably the most consequential person I met in my formative years. And I wouldn't be doing adventures with Sarah. I wouldn't ever have become an Italy tour guide or a writer. It was incredibly, her, her influence is the reason you guys all see me here today. So I have to give a nod to a legend, at least in, in my life, but a legend in many people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had the good fortune of being Austria's student uh, as well on uh, my second quarter in Rome. And uh, she, she really was an incredible, you know, force of personality. She was the type of person that would walk into a room and just take it over. And, uh, you know, she just, uh, everything she said was brilliant. And she just sort of had students kind of uh, mesmerized by her whole presence, her knowledge or wisdom. Uh, she told really funny jokes. And as you said, she, you know, she was really about didactic teaching, you know, a whole kind of way of life, uh, cooking. It was really important to her that students knew how to make strudel <laughs> the proper way. Um, and uh, it had cognac in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So anyway, here's to, here's to Ostra and... Yes, cheers to Ostra, wherever you are, Thank you for your presence in our lives. You have made us what we are. So um, yeah, and I think that probably my biggest takeaway from my study abroad in Rome and particularly maybe that was Ostra's influence is that education is a holistic experience. It's not just studying dates and numbers and standardized testing, but what she really taught me about was how to live, how to live a good life, how to go to, how to shop for groceries and pick the best peaches, how to you know enjoy sitting in a cafe for hours without having to, you know, be entertained, you know, it's just how, I don't know, there's just a whole approach to life. I think that she brought in this very weird way that it's mm -hmm. hard to explain, but yeah, I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, when you're a college student, that, that really does uh, make a big impact on you. And um, uh, I think that uh, still today, you know, people travel to Italy with um, that same kind of spirit in mind, wanting to participate in uh, the culture, the, the, the daily life, and, and all of those little things that she was teaching college students are, they're, they're still there today that you pick up in lots of, lots of little ways through lots of different people, necessarily. Um, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, so her, her legacy is, is great. Um, so what inspired you to give up being an architect? Because both of us practiced architecture for a while. I practiced architecture about five years before I uh, left the fold. So what encouraged you to decide to leave the fold? Um, you know, I, I enjoyed the work. I um, did work a bit uh, with, you know, firms in Seattle. Um, I also uh, had a, an undergraduate engineering degree. So I worked in an engineering office and as well um, an architecture office. I, I had stints uh, in both fields. And, um, you know, I, I really did enjoy the work. I just, I have been so fortunate and privileged to have these opportunities uh, to travel and to, uh, you know, especially to, to work for Rick Steves Europe. Um, 
it wasn't so much giving that up as it was just following um, a dream to, to travel professionally and to do that kind of work. Uh, I started working for Rick Steves thinking that I kind of thought like, okay, well, this will be a cool job in my 20s, you know, to uh, get me through graduate school uh, or, or just to kind of get me, you know, they're sort of my ski bum years. Um, I guess being a, an Italy bum, maybe, I don't know, is a better way to put it. But um, yeah, I just sort of grew and evolved into it and um, loved the work. I love uh, working with people. I loved teaching. Um, the teaching aspect is really important to me. I, um, you know, I feel like uh, we are sort of teachers in situ. You know, it's so much more powerful to talk about St. Mark's Basilica when you're standing in front of it. Uh, than it is, uh, you know, standing in front of a PowerPoint slide in a classroom lecture hall uh, thousands of miles away at 8.30 in the morning, <laughs> right? Everybody asleep. So uh, to do that is just an extraordinary um, challenge and a privilege. And um, I just, it's a lot of fun. I just really enjoy it. And so I'm, I'm sure you have similar kind of beginning stories with working my for origin story which i don't really i guess i haven't really told my audience is basically i i mean i was doing pretty well as an architect i mean especially for a young woman i was doing some pretty high powered projects and i was enjoying the work but it was a very sexist field and i had a lot of run-ins with that problem uh, my work being presented as somebody else's because they didn't want anybody to know that a 25 year old girl with long blonde hair and big boobs was the one who designed it. And that was kind of a, a frustration to me. So I'd have stayed in it forever, but I have to give the credit to this, you know, transformation in jobs uh, to one person. And that is my mother-in-law, Nancy Winder, who one day said to me, if you could do anything, what would you do? And I said, cause I was frustrated about my job. And I said, oh, I don't know, go work for Rick Steves and write guidebooks. Cause I had always traveled with his books and liked his books. And she said, well, you should, why don't you? send him a resume. And it just had never occurred to me, one can do that. <laughs> you can just actually send a resume and you can choose what you want to do. So I sent them a resume and just on a whim, just like, yeah, sure. Okay. They're never going to hire me. You know, I spoke Italian. I'd studied in Italy and I had a degree in architecture and history. That's a great resume, I guess, but I didn't even know what job I was applying for actually. And they called me and they offered me a job in the office, not I mean, I sort of laughed because I'm like, I'm, I don't want to work in the office. But then they told me about this tour guiding path as a potential future thing. And I thought, well, I'll try it. When I left my firm, they, they said, you'll be back. There's no way you're going to stay at that job. They're like, your brain is too hungry. You're never going to want to stay at that job. You'll, you'll be back. We're not even going to like close down your desk. We'll see you in six months. So they thought it was like a, a midlife crisis coming, you know, 20 years early. And um, so... I went and actually I was, I didn't love working in the office because yeah, they were corrected that it wasn't enough to stimulate me. But once I got out onto my first tour, I went, oh, <laughs> that's a job. <laughs> I didn't know that was a job. Uh, so yeah, so I started working on tours and writing for the guidebooks in 2000 and haven't looked back because boy, as you know, this is the most stimulating job I think that there is, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really is. Um... It's, 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 a, it's a very sort of rich experience to be able to uh, teach and to be able to move around, you know, being mobile, constantly uh, moving through, uh, you know, spaces, buildings, um, piazzas, uh, on the motorway, on the Vaporetto, 
um, you know, I just, it, it's, um, it is such an incredible job. And people ask, you know, like, oh, when are you going to go and get a real job? And it's like, well, I kind of like my unreal job, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, that actually, when I was younger, I, that made me so mad when people would say that to me. So when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to grow up? And I'm like, I'm Peter Pan. Never, yeah. never going to do it because why, you know? But I, I would say that that did put doubts in my head. I don't know about you, about, you know, is this a real job that you can do forever? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it kind of goes against uh, conventional wisdom about you know how you're supposed to uh, grow a career, um, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, people ask all the time, but you know, don't you get bored of the spaces or the places that you're going to? You know, like you see the stuff all the time. Doesn't it get boring? And it's like, no, it doesn't. I mean, it it's so much better than working in an office. It's so much better than going to the same cubicle every day, right? So. Uh, you know, when, uh, you know, an entire country is your, is your place of work and your, your uh, office, so to speak. Um, no, it doesn't, it doesn't get boring. In fact, um, the longer I do it, you know, the, the more you sort of realize how much there is that you don't know and how exciting it is to, uh, to sort of chase after, um, you know, all of that new knowledge that you acquire as you grow older and as you get more experience. Um, so it's, uh, it's both, it's humbling uh, and it's inspiring um, and I love it. And I can't wait for, you know, the, the next chapter, the next half of uh, this career of mine, you know, with this sort of intermission that we have with this pandemic, everybody's stuck at home, right? And uh, the silver lining here is that this is a chance to kind of stop and, uh, rethink things and to um, appreciate, you know, both what you have had in the past and to um, sort of sharpen and focus uh, future endeavors. And so it's, um, it's yeah. been, it's been, it's been a difficult, it's been a rough six months here, but it's also uh, been exciting too, in other ways. So yeah, well, and for me, I, a lot of what I've been thinking about is, you know, the next chapter is kind of a bit of an unknown. We don't know really what's going to happen, but I, I have so much gratitude. I think that's the overwhelming feeling when I look back at my 20 years so far as a, a tour guide is gratitude because it's brought me all of you guys. You guys are like my family. It's brought me to places and people and things that are such a huge part of my life that are just, I feel like my heart has expanded tenfold in doing this work. And being an architect would have been great. I'd have had a very comfortable life I'd have been good at it. I'd have, you know, built a lot of buildings and that would be good in its own way, but there's something incredibly soulful about what we do, I think. Absolutely, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so I'm just, I, I have so much gratitude. So, I mean, it's brought me, yeah, this career has brought me my best friends, the great loves of my life, all of the people that are just the most meaningful outside of my own immediate family. Uh, have come and, and I think that's the thing that I'm realizing in this pandemic is being cut off from all of that has been hard. But on the other hand, what has been strange, hasn't it, that I feel in a way we're all a little closer, even though we, we can't physically be in the same space. Yeah. We have all made it work and made a way to connect to each other and made a priority of connecting to each other, which we hadn't done before. Right. And that's, that, that's absolutely yeah. true. I mean, and we've kind of been remarking that, um, in some ways we're in better touch now than we were even before 
when we were sort of preoccupied with uh, where we were going and what we were doing in any one moment uh, now, yeah, being at home a lot and, and being stationary, it's given us a, the time and the space to, to um, actually spend a lot more time, you know, connecting, talking, and in some cases, even working together. <laughs> yeah, well, and getting, it's kind of funny getting to know each other better. I mean, we've all known each other for decades, but, you know, now we know, we actually know each other. It's more just than, you know, hey, let's go have a beer at the compo. It's more kind of like, you know, let's, let's work this, let's work through a really big problem together. That's the important thing. How do we, how do we stay together focused as, as a group and get through this particular chapter? So before we move on to the topic that obviously segues from that conversation, I just wanted to um, ask you a little bit about, because you come from a, an architectural background as well, how does architecture inform the work that you do? Oh, well, I mean, you know, architecture is the work that I do um, the way that I see it anyway, because, you know, when we travel, we're, we're traveling through space. And um, uh, especially for, um, North Americans going over to Europe, uh, you know, spaces are different. They were built for different reasons, different time periods. Um, they were built for different purposes and they were built to communicate certain messages. Uh, and, um, you know, reading the city as uh, Ostra Zarina would have once taught us, right, is um, something, that, uh, something that I try to teach my groups, right? Um, so when we are, you know, passing through a, a Renaissance square, we talk about the Renaissance design principles that went into the creation of that space. Um, a medieval church would be the same thing. Um, going back to the, the example of St. Mark's in Venice, that's a wonderfully complex and culturally rich building that has influences from all over the Mediterranean world. Uh, and sort of picking those apart uh, to understand them, and then to understand architecture also as a, uh, as a kind of political tool that expresses power and control and authority. Um, those are all ideas that um, don't really, don't necessarily work the same way today in the U.S. I mean, there are a lot of, there are some overlaps, but there are lessons that are really exciting to learn, to discover, um, and sometimes you know, you have to kind of stop and uh, really look around uh, where you are and um, read the city physically. Um, so, yeah, I think that, uh, you, know, tr you know, travel is literally done in space. And so there's lots of different ways, of course, to approach travel through art, through, um, you know, food traditions, through um, religious traditions. But um, yeah, for me, it's architecture. I think the same is probably true for you. And um, yeah, I love uh, picking apart buildings, how they work, how they were built, um, and what they mean today. Like, why, you know, why are these buildings important to us today in 2020 um, when they were built a thousand years ago in a totally different time period for totally different reasons? So that's actually something that I, I think a lot about here in Seattle, taking those sort of tools um, that I learned in Italy and bringing them back here and applying them to certain historic preservation projects that I work on here in the off season. Uh, because we don't live in a culture necessarily that values uh, old buildings, right? 
uh, or even the, the definition of what's old is uh, and what's worth preserving is a really good question here in you know the young United States. So um, that's that's a that's a whole another topic uh, of my work, but um, uh, an interesting one. I'm actually working on a on a project here to create uh, a kind of uh, Roman style ruin out of um, an old abandoned freeway ramp that was uh, constructed and never used in the Arboretum area. And uh, I've been working on it for a number of years now, um, but it's happening and it'll be a couple more years before construction in that area is finished. Uh, and once they sort of, you know, reveal the curtain, um, there will be a series of columns and a, and a cross beam made out of giant monolithic concrete that will stand alone in a park uh, and really sort of look like uh, a Roman ruin that you might find in the Forum of Rome. So uh, there's a whole nowhere, right? there. Yeah, there's a whole sort of historic story of how that place came to be. It's really interesting. Uh, it's based in social justice and the environment and uh, democracy and people sort of rallying coming together over certain political issues. And uh, so look for that project to come. Uh, of course, I'll be blasting it out once, uh, once we're done with it and it's ready to show off. So you're involved in some architectural organizations here in Seattle as well, right? I used to be involved, yeah. for example, in the Seattle Architectural Foundation, which was one of the things that led me to tour guiding because I was a volunteer tour guide for them. Did you ever do walks for them? I've been oh on yeah, yes I did. Up. Those are great, those yeah. are really great. Yeah. yeah, I thought I actually saw one of those the other day downtown outside of the the downtown central library. There was a group of people there standing around somebody that was explaining it. It made me think of those tours. Oh, that used to be so fun. I, I guess they must still do them now. But if you ever come to Seattle, check out Seattle Architectural Foundation. It was a really great group of people. And I did that in my when I was working as an architect, I would do lunchtime tours. So I take my a long lunch and I do lunchtime tours. And then I would do on the weekend, we get a different theme like every couple of months and we would have to write our own walking tours. So it wasn't just that you know, you walk around downtown Seattle and point out the famous stuff. It was like, okay, you're doing Wallingford bungalows. So you have to go to the library and the city records, find out who owned these houses and find out if there are any stories behind the people that own those houses. And we'd meet together in groups to try and do research uh, to, to create interesting walking tours from nothing, which was intense. <laughs> when I think about it, it's like, man, I had a lot of time in my twenties. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't do that now, but <laughs> that was good stuff, so. Yeah. What other kind of stuff are you doing in the architectural community here in Seattle these days? Anything else? Um, well, the, I I've been working for this nonprofit called Seattle Arch, uh, and that's the group that's working on the, the old abandoned freeway ruins. Um, and um, we are we're starting uh, landscape design or the, the conceptual landscape design uh, as we speak. Actually, we're working with the landscape architect. Um, so I've been kind of coordinating that project. Uh, and then I also uh, volunteer uh, and I'm on the board of Dokomomo Wiwa, which is, uh, I know it's a, it's, it's a hell of a name, uh, but it, it is a modern architecture historic preservation group. And uh, I love the work with that group because it's literally looking at, you know, buildings that are roughly about 50 years old, plus or minus a few decades. And that's kind of right on the cusp of, uh, you know, buildings that are haven't um, 
haven't gained the public appreciation, right? Think about a, a building from 50 years ago would be 19, at this point, 1970. Uh, there's not a whole lot of buildings in, from 1970 that people sort of look at it in a, in a nostalgic or endearing way, or it really with much appreciation at all. And so our job is to kind of figure out what buildings from that kind of mid-century um, time period are going to be worthy of preservation um, you know, into the future. And so it's really kind of on the vanguard of figuring out what buildings we need to keep now. And we fight a lot of, end up fighting a lot of battles because uh, you know, these buildings are threatened. They uh, often are torn down, redeveloped, and um, uh, you know, we have to kind of do the advocacy work to to educate the public and decision makers at city hall, uh, developers, building owners, even uh, to try to convince them that certain buildings by certain designers or uh, built. Um, in a certain way are worthy of preservation. So I always feel like it's kind of looking into a crystal ball and figuring out, you know, in another 20 or 30 years, what are gonna be the buildings that we now look back on, you know, buildings from a hundred years ago and sort of see fondness, right? I mean, I live down uh, next to Pioneer Square in Seattle and look out and see all these beautiful, wonderful old brick buildings that are a century plus old and um, they're gorgeous, they're beautiful, right? Uh, but buildings from the 1950s, 60s, and now 70s don't have that appreciation yet, but they will in another generation of time. I think about Gould Hall, the architecture school at the UW, which Super is such an ugly building. It's like an MC Escher-like drawing, but there's something kind of, I mean, I love it, and I have such a lot of, uh, I don't know, fondness and emotional connection to it, but at first glance, it's a very ugly building. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's brutal. So, you yeah. know, um, it's a brutalist building from it's, you know, it's concrete. Uh, it's of its time period, but uh, the way that it uh, surrounds space with this courtyard in the middle uh, and this, these stairs sort of shooting through it, it's really, really super cool building. And that's definitely one of those kind of underappreciated buildings. You drive by it from the outside and, you know, it's like, yikes. Uh, but you go inside of it and, and I think the, the people that uh, work there, that study there, I think they love that building, generally. Well, I, I loved how we used to use that, the interior space, because it's a huge open space with classrooms ringing it and then all these crazy sort of stairways everywhere. But we used it like for the architecture um, in Rome program to raise money, we did a, a big fancy dinner every year and we would decorate it. One year it was all the roofs of Rome. So we made it look like the whole courtyard was the top of the city of Rome. And you could use it like in so many interesting ways as like a stage set. And yeah. That was what was neat about it. Yeah, it was kind of like a piazza, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, it was. Surrounded like by all these windows looking down into this huge uh, atrium courtyard. Yeah. Uh, really super cool building. Super ugly building, but super cool and useful. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, and I've, I've actually heard that in, I think it's in England, they had been, had this big thing about tearing down all the post-war buildings. You know, Prince Charles was really in favor of that. And they did a lot of that redeveloping, but all of a sudden now this brutalism appreciation has popped up in the last like five or 10 years. Yeah, it, it takes time. It takes a couple of generations, doesn't it? Um, a good example of this is the, uh, is the, the sort of fascist period of architecture in Italy from the 1920s. We share a passion for that, for sure. <laughs> Those are uh, some incredibly beautiful buildings, fascinating buildings, 
a lot of them are, you know, worse for wear now. Um, some of them are now being restored and uh, kept up and, and reused, repurposed. Obviously, they don't necessarily serve the same function that they, that they originally did. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's, a, that's another topic. <laughs> That, you know, right it, you know, on the surface is sort of hard to, you know, hard to immediately get and appreciate, but once you sort of dive into it and understand the broader context, it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating topic. That would actually be something, maybe we should do a Friday lecture on that, you and I together, because that is my absolute favorite style of architecture. And that's something that when people travel with me in Italy, I make a point on every one of my tours to stop in front of a fascist era building and explain, I think it's the most beautiful style of architecture to come out of Italy, personally. Yeah. Um, I just think it's such an interesting combination of you know, politics and history and architecture and you know, all of those kind of propaganda. There's so much that it, it speaks to that I think it's just a fascinating topic that people don't, don't yeah. appreciate because the name is off-putting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, um, for sure. But uh, the, there, were, there were certain, you know, aspirations and goals that, are, that, that were relevant um, and others that weren't, of course, but uh, the architecture was, uh, was, was really interesting. And it, come, it came at a historic time period in Italy, which uh, Italy was still kind of in its early formation in a way, and still trying to define you know, what it meant to be Italian. What, what, um, what exactly was that uh, in, a, in a modern way? And so that's the essential question that uh, those architects were dealing with at the time. And uh, they came up with a range of uh, responses. Of course, there's a whole spectrum of fascist architecture. It's not just one style. Um, in fact, yeah, we should do a tag team back and forth, sort of trying to show the range, the stylistic range of that time period. Because I would love that actually. And you know, there's also all that, the weird city planning that happened during that time, like what Spinacento and some of the other cities, coastal cities around Rome that were these pre-planned fascist communities, which, don't necessarily work, but they're really interesting to look at. <laughs> yeah, right, right. The sort of um, reincarnated, you know, Roman town, uh, yeah. 1920s and 30s. Yeah, there are a couple of, there, there are a number of really good examples uh, of those towns. I'd love to talk about that. Yeah. Do that sometime. Yeah, let's do that. Let's put that on the docket. That'll be one of our Friday lunch and learn presentations. So um, if you could take let's say automatically right now you have a group of 10 people yep. you can transport them to any one piece of architecture anywhere in the world where would you go <clears throat> wow any one piece of architecture well, i'm biased obviously all right um but i think that everyone should have the experience of you know crossing the portico and stepping over the threshold into the ancient Roman pantheon. I mean, that, that for me was uh, a life-changing experience for sure. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a building that uh, will surprise you. It, um, you know, it sort of looks like a typical sort of Greco-Roman temple and uh, you walk inside of it, uh, you go through the door and you uh, enter into this grand interior space with this uh, just uh, incredible dome and to look up at that dome to see the coffered ceiling to see the oculus at the top the hole that looks up to the sky it's powerful it's moving and um, you know obviously the pantheon is world famous it's 
one of the most popular sites in Rome. Millions of people see it every year. Um, and this, you know, how to see the Pantheon is a good question. Okay, so not just what would you see, but how would you see it? And I would, uh, I definitely think that that is uh, a building worth getting up early for and going and seeing it first thing in the morning. You got to beat the crowds there because you want to step inside and uh, hear the acoustics and just be part of this volume of space that dates back to the second century AD. Um, and to experience that powerful connection between the ground that you're standing on and the shaft of light that comes through that oculus, uh, allowing you to look right up to the sky. And there's always a kind of, you know, an ever-changing uh, composition of clouds and the occasional seagull flying uh, across that view through the oculus. Um, so you can also go there on the Pentecost too, when uh, they, the, the fire brigade of Rome, they climb up to the roof of the Pantheon and they throw rose petals down through the oculus uh, at the end of uh, mass services on the, on the feast of the Pentecost. Which is usually typically in early June. Yes. That's yeah. They didn't do it this year. Easter. Yeah, it's a shame they didn't get to do it this year, but they, understandably so, but that is one of the great sort of things. And the other one that, that people talk about is when it snows, which is not very often right. to watch snow come in through. So what about you? What's your pick? What's your one building in the world? Um, I think the Pantheon is a really good pick. Um, I think I would probably say Valley of the Temples. Obviously, you know, my heart is in Sicily. So I think that's probably would be for me, that's one of the great experiences is walking through. I think it's one of the most stunning things I've ever seen. And also just the insanity when you look at not just the Valley of the Temples, but when you look towards the modern city of Agrigento, you see just the hillside and you realize that that was all a Greek city too. And we're talking about 400 BC before Rome even was anything interesting at all you had this really incredible society. That or ancient Athens would be very interesting. But just for me, I really feel such a connection to the, the sighting of it. And there's just something really beautiful and timeless about that that I think is very moving. Um, so that would be it. Um, yeah, it's, there's, there's too many things to choose from, but that's the one that comes to, to mind first. That and also just standing in the middle of the Roman Forum, because as Austria always talked about, the, that you, the middle of the forum is the only place where you can understand the concept of the onion that she always used to talk about, that Rome is like an onion. And it's something that, you know, you have to peel the layers away and you keep going and going and going. And I don't know of any other place in the world where you can stand in one spot and see a cross section of humanity's history. And so I, for me, that's, that probably would be it actually, more than the Valley of the Temples would be standing right in the middle of the Roman forum and then just talking with people, talking it through, going back to the eighth century BC. Here's evidence of that. Let's go to the you know sixth century, fifth century, fourth century, and you can just every century you can stand in one spot and point out things from every single century. And as a tour guide and, and an architect, I think that's such a powerful way to demonstrate how architecture has the potential to speak through time. You know, we can speak to people that existed two thousand years ago by looking at what they left behind. Mm -hmm. that, that would be me, I think. Yeah, uh, another building that comes to mind that would be a kind of, uh, you know, a sort of uh, dark horse sleeper choice uh, uh, to answer this question would be the Cathedral of uh, Syracuse, Syracuse in Sicily, yes. right? Because 
there in just one building, you have all of those layers, uh, all of those uh, layers of the onion um, uh, going back to the ancient Greek temple that was there. Um, that's also a very powerful place to experience both from the outside and the inside to walk through all those different centuries of, of time period surrounding you. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in general, what we're talking about, even with the Valley of the Temples, these are places that, uh, you know, you walk through and you can't help but to be moved by them, right? You know, I mean, this is, this is the, the great thrill about travel is that as you are physically moving, right, then you are sort of being emotionally, um, spiritually moved as well by what you're seeing. And that's what, that's what we're after. Right. You know, so. you walk through. Oh, look at all these people. Who are these folks here? What's going on? <laughs> you no, know, I mean this is this is the, the all right. Of, We're being joined here by some uh, some friends. Moving. I'm going to go ahead and, and mute all of my friends as they're popping up. So we have a little surprise for you, everybody who's watching. Uh, so as the screen starts populating up here, uh, I have some friends I want to introduce you to. Some of them you already know. Some of them are going to be new. Some of them are just waking up at four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning. Thank you, Colin. Uh, some of you, it's the evening. So in just a second, we, we've got more people jumping in here. Oh, look at all my wonderful people jumping in. So uh, Reiner, uh, Reiner and I, along with our friends, actually um, have been working on a big project. Uh, and I'm going to let Reiner show us in just a second. Uh, I'm, I'm going to let him drive in a minute and show us what we have been working on. But just a little background as my friends here pop up on the screen. Uh, so in April, when we all lost our jobs, basically, um, I took a few days to mourn the fact that my way of life was over as I knew it. And that was really hard, as we talked about, 20 years of being connected to a profession and a company and a way of life and the people the people that I've been connected with all these years, they're my, they're my family and they're people who mean a lot to me. And the idea that somehow we wouldn't all be together again really broke my heart. And it broke my heart to think that there were people that do this job that would have no way to make money and maybe wouldn't survive this, this catastrophe financially. And I always feel when there's something that goes wrong in the world, in my life too, I've had a, a very rough few years. The way to, for me to get through these things is to think, how can I be of service to others? I think that by being of service to other people and doing things to help others, it takes us outside of ourselves and it helps us to cope with our own situation by helping other people to move forward. So it occurred to me one day that the best thing that I could do for my family this extended group of people who I, I just think each of you have a, have a little corner of my heart um, and I, in gratitude for your community and your friendship and your presence in my life, I wanted to figure out what can I do for you and how can I be of service to you. So the, the way I thought about it was the best way I can be of service to everybody is to introduce all of my fans, all 40,000 of you, to these wonderful, gentle, sweet souls who all have such, such an interesting, different, diverse take on the world. Uh, and I just think that introducing you to them uh, is a way that you can get to know them. Maybe you'll want to take a tour with them. Maybe you'll want to do a virtual tour with them. Uh, and maybe we can all work as a community to get through this time and emerge on the other side 
with a completely new approach to travel. Just as Reiner and I, as he so eloquently said, taking this hiatus, this break in the middle of this catastrophe has let us all reevaluate what's important and what is the next chapter. So we are here today to introduce you to the next chapter. So hello to everybody. We've got Jorge Roman, we've got Colin Mares, we have Lisa Anderson, Colleen Murphy, uh, we have Fran Glaria, Liz Lister, Holger Zimmer, we have Roberto Becchi, Anna Savino, and we have my sweet sister, Trish Feaster, the travel file. She and I are always plotting together and getting into lots of trouble. So today we want to bring you something new and we are not the only ones. There are others. We are about 20 people so far and growing. Uh, we would like to introduce you to the new concept, which is the Guide Collective. We are, uh, Adventures with Sarah will still exist. Don't worry, I'm gonna keep you know, chugging along. But we have created a new website and a new node and hub for travel where we'd like to connect travelers with all of these wonderful people that I just, I, I love with my whole heart and I know you will too. You're gonna really enjoy every single one of them. And what we're going to do is bring a new focus in travel, a new perspective that comes from a variety of different places. All of us has, a, we're all from different countries. We all from, come from different backgrounds, but we're all going to talk about interesting and relevant topics in travel. We're going to try, we're gonna have a theme. This month's theme uh, is bread. And because that is a unifying theme, all of us can relate to. And actually when Reiner, when you were talking about the bread in the forno of, uh, in, in Rome, I thought, wow, that's what I should have written about was as a student, you know, saving up my money and going eating that wonderful bread. So this is our unifying theme to start with. So every month we're going to have a topic that we're all going to write about, but we're, this is going to be a multimedia, um, Kind of thing. We're going to have video, we're going to have virtual tours, classes, uh, we're going to offer a slate of our own individual tours. So this is, you can kind of imagine this as a hub, as a way to connect you with all of these wonderful people all over the world. Uh, so if you intend to travel in the future, let's say you're going to Spain, you're going to know that you can talk to Fran and Jorge. And if you're going to be going to Piedmont, you've got Anna and Lisa. So we've got teams all over the world ready to show you uh, whatever corners you want, but hopefully to elevate the conversation in travel. This is no longer bucket list territory. This is more going back to what Ostra taught Reiner and I, which is how do we live in this world in a gracious way? How can travel turn us into people who enjoy the world and enjoy life more? How can we be good community citizens, community members and be a part of our world community and connect with people around the world, rather than just saying, oh, look, Italians, aren't they cute? You know, oh, them with their fashion. No, let's meet Italians, let's get to know them, let's have coffee with them, let's go to their homes. How do we do that? So this is the goal. How do we connect you in a more meaningful way with the world around you? So without further ado, I introduce you to the Guide Collective. And Reiner, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna let you drive and you can show us what we've got going on here with the Guide Collective. All right, so I'm just gonna turn here for a second to my computer here at home and um, I'm gonna make this website public and save it and... Welcome Anna Piperato and Reed Cohen who are joining us now. Beautiful members of the Guide Collective. All right, uh, I think we're now live. So um, is, is out there in the world now on the internet. And this has been um, a lot of fun to put together. Just it, the, the, 
the synergy of all of these people, uh, all of their talents coming together um, and sort of connecting into this hub as Sarah described it. Um, it's really been a lot of fun uh, trying to put this website together um, and just uh, working with everybody. Um, it's really been the, the sort of highlight of the pandemic so far, um, for sure. But, all right, so uh, I would like, I'd like to ask everybody to raise a glass if they've got one. Do we all have a glass? Yep, Prosecco, Rosé, Reiner's got some grappa. Yeah, the grappa. I think Colin's got coffee. <laughs> all right, so for all of our hard work, you guys have been amazing. Thank you so much for listening to me and putting up with me. <laughs> Thank you for putting up with each other, for volunteering your time and your passion and your energy to this beautiful project. And I wish us all the best and to the maiden voyage of the Guide Collective. Salute. Good health to all of you. We know that above all, that's the most important thing. So now you guys, without further ado, I would like to introduce everybody who's watching to the Guide Collective. Here we are. The Guide Collective, a global network of travel professionals. Get inspired to travel. Here we have our magazine right here. We've got our television channel. We've got our tours that we're offering. Coming soon, we're gonna have virtual tours events calendar and guides. I'm just gonna quickly walk you, everybody who's watching through this. This is our magazine. Uh, Trish Feaster is our editor in chief. Uh, Lisa is our associate editor and my goodness, have they worked hard on this. Reiner, by the way, has done the majority of the programming and he's done a beautiful job. So we have this month, which our theme this month, as I mentioned, is bread. We've got travel tips, local flavors, which is our food column that's kind of headed by Andrew Vallone. We've got arts and culture, Wander Women, which is going to be a women's travel column, and then GC Faves, which is going to be our favorite things from around the, the world. So if you go down and you check out all of our articles, there's a, a letter from me just explaining what our theme for the month is and what the Guide Collective is. And then you can see we've got article upon article, uh, which are just all such wonderful expressions that um, we've basically just given people an idea of what to write about and they've all jumped in and given their perspective based on what country they're from or, or their interests. GCTV, if you jump onto that tab, you're going to see that um, some of us have YouTube channels. Uh, our signature piece, as you guys have been uh, involved in, is the um, roundtable, which Reiner and Reed and Trish and I uh, and Andrew, we do uh, once a week. So that's going to be our keystone piece of, of content. And then down here, you can connect with all of our different members, uh, Jorge and Patrick, uh, Anna, Fran, uh, me, you already know about, uh, Trish, and you can go to our YouTube pages or watch embedded videos from this page. And that's gonna hopefully be a rotating selection of videos. Tours, if you wanna travel with us, we are planning 2021. Every single one of us has a slate of tours that we're putting together. So this is just the first pass at some of our departures that are available now and you can book individual tours uh, so you can go around the world with us. And then if you wanna check out our events calendar, uh, our events calendar, you just can look at the day and you can see what's going on on each of those days and then flip through and there'll, there'll be a link. Our next event is going to be uh, the wine tasting I'm doing with Andrew and a winemaker in Slovenia. So you can just click on that and that'll take you to the place. Some of these are paid events, uh, such as Anna's uh, tours. Anna does wonderful lectures and tours of Siena. Uh, of course, we wanna know about our guides. Who are our guides? We have 
such an incredible host of people. You can learn about them each individually here. Charlie Rawson, who I don't think is on the call, she has been really um, critical in this as well. Ben Curtis, Colin Mares, Colleen, Daniela, Fran. So all of these wonderful people who have been a part of our uh, organization. Oh, by the way, Holger is also working on a podcast. So there will be a podcast element to this uh, coming up. So this is literally just the beginning, you guys. This is the beginning of what I hope is going to be um, a really beautiful uh, new travel entity. So I'm just gonna open, unmute you all. And I wanna know if any of you guys have anything to add. You are all unmuted. We're all, we're all very excited and happy to, happy Stun to launch silence. this ship. <laughs> stunned because you're stunned that we actually did it. <laughs> we did it. We did it. Yay. We've been working so hard on this. It's really, it's really going to be great. We are too shy to be tour guides here, right here. <laughs> <laughs> We're really not that shy. <laughs> no, but no, that's, that's We've right. We've just become accustomed to Zoom meetings. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. True. But anyway, we're here. We, we, this is the day, you know. I'm so excited. And uh, well, just uh, thank you all. That's what I want to say. Fran and Jorge have been to every meeting, I think. <laughs> they have been here from the beginning, every single meeting. Every one of you has contributed something really interesting. Daniela's our photo editor, for example. Uh, Anna's like blazing the way for video tours for us. So we've all, everybody's put together something, you know, brought something to the table and it's just been above all for me. I know Zoom is exhausting and we've been on Zoom every day for three months, but I love you guys and thank you because I don't know, I think I'd be insane right now if we hadn't been talking every day uh, and just being together every day and working on a mutually beneficial project has been, I don't know, it's turned this, the lemons into limoncello, I think, so. <laughs> thank you, Sarah, for it's, encouraging. And for the really, idea. Go ahead. Yeah. Sister, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I want to say no, thank you for, I mean, kind of putting it together and uh, the ideas and sticking to uh, the, the visions, uh, the ideas that you have, always the creativity, beautiful and encouraging and uh, kind of, I think, to bring out also in us to think in a different way and, and I think the energy in between all of us, what everyone brings then really carries us and still does further on and uh, what you just said, I mean, this is just a um, I'm just repeating in a way, but uh, also it's it's um, it brings out new things in us, new capacities, new ideas, new things we can do. But also with the comfort that we are all uh, together in that, and we make it through. So thank you, and uh, for every single one, also in Trish and everyone who has put so much work into that. So thank you, guys. Great. I'm curious. Great here, here. I'm curious to know uh, just real quickly, briefly. You know, uh, we've all have been forced to adapt here, just like when you travel and sort of unexpected things come up, you have to adapt and do something new. Um, so that's kind of what we've done metaphorically here as well with this uh, endeavor with Guide Collective. Um, what new skills have you all learned in the last couple of months in contributing to Guide Collective? Just real briefly. The list is long. <laughs> yeah. From Facebook, writing, video. <laughs> <laughs> many, 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 many things. All I'm of the above. On Zoom. 
Zoom. Zoom. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I have to learn how to be a business person. And I, yeah, I've been resisting learning how to be a business leader for a long time, but you know, it is what it is. So doing businessy stuff is not my favorite, but you know what, if it supports you guys, I'll, I'm happy to do it. I think daily we're learning new things kind of to touch on what Daniela was saying is the incredible synergy of all of this. We, uh, somebody earlier this morning, we had an earlier Zoom and Roberto mentioned that as, as guides, we often maybe meet only once a year to get together as an entire group. Those of us who are fortunate and we work in the same areas, if we see each other in Rome, if we see each other in Florence, we might cross with other people. But for the most part, I only see some of my colleagues that one time of year, but to be able to have access to their brains and their skill and their creativity and their enthusiasm has been such a lightning bolt for me. I'm just so invigorated by all of this and I'm, I'm grateful to each and every single one of you for all of your contributions. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, from the depths of my brain to the width of my soul, everything. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. yeah, and really thanks to to all of you, Sarah, Trish, and everyone driving this thing here in, in many ways, like the, the branding, the logo, everything goes into it. I'm really happy to be a part of this wonderful community. And to me, I just feel this is just the beginning. This is starting here, and we all put all our our experiences and our parts of the world that we know and we want to share more and more. So this is a growing entity here, and I'm really happy to be part of this. And we're looking for big things from you, Holger, with our podcast eventually, someday. <laughs> All right, come on, who hasn't talked? Come on, you guys, you're, you're tour guides. You always have something to say. <laughs> well, I think the same as... Oh, oh, go ahead. <laughs> so basically, basically what, what everyone has said, I agree with everything. But uh, also just add my thanks really to Sarah for giving us this seed that hopefully is going to grow into a beautiful oak tree one day. And uh, just for giving us all that kick up the, the backside to get, it, to get it going. And I think that it's something that we all needed as well through this time. So it's given us something else to focus on and something to be proud of. Um, we all love our work and we love to do what we do. And this gives us a chance to continue to do that in some way um, and for the future. So thank you to Sarah. Thank you to everybody um, in the group and again, very proud to be a part of this. Thank you all. I just want to add something here that Colin said about this, this little seed that is going to be a, an oak one day. You know that the oaks are evergreen trees, right? So mm -hmm. this is going to be green forever for all of us. So thank you. Yeah. And they also make very good barrels for whiskey. <laughs> good. And wine. Good point. Good point. Good point. Good point. <laughs> That's a beautiful analogy. I had muted myself before because my neighbor's kids are throwing like crazy temper tantrums every day. And I think that's probably how I would have felt if I hadn't had this experience to help me through all of this. I mean, because from the end of February through the present, life has thrown us a lot of curves. So thank you, everybody. You are a wonderful group of people. And I'm very thankful for all of this in our lives. I've been getting teary-eyed a whole lot of times during this whole thing, and hopefully my glasses are covering it up. I'm muting myself again. Can we take a moment just to raise our glasses again? I'm going to take a screenshot, if you wouldn't mind, everybody. Indulge ourselves in this way. 
And um, Roberto, why don't you give a toast to Sarah, please? I would like to have the glass first. Can I have the time <laughs> to go to get a glass? <laughs> I own a winery, I don't have a glass with me. That's embarrassing. You're wearing glasses, so just think of them as those. Oh, okay. I, I, okay. I toast with glasses to Sarah, to all of you that have done an amazing work. Community love and passion for sharing. And I just have to. Uh, the bottle of Tanqueray. <laughs> I have to counter that. I haven't had time to, have, to make my drink yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, to it's okay. I'm, I'm, toast I'm toasting with oh, a no. candle. Is that yogurt, Fran? <laughs> I thought so. That was the only thing I had. That was mine. That's how they sell the vodka in Russia. In the little vodka. Anonymous. <laughs> All of you out there watching, I really missed out on our Zoom call. So there's been a lot of laughing. Anna and I, we are in Tuscany and we don't have a glass of wine. That's really embarrassing. We just finished an online class. So I'm teaching English too, but that's not of any interest to any of you. But I have my time. I'll make my GNT right after. Okay, I just want to, I want to just say, I appreciate all of the kindness you guys are showing and thanks towards me and that's wonderful, you know, and that, that's, that's great, but I just want to give a little shout out to the one person without whom none of this would be possible, which is Trish. And Trish is my, my wing woman. She is one of the most wonderful people in my life. And I am so grateful for her commitment to this project and the hours she's put in. And you guys don't know about, we call each other what, 10 times a day? Probably. <laughs> And I'm crying right now. Don't, oh gosh. I love you so much. You are just such a wonderful and supportive and caring friend and such an incredibly gifted writer and leader. And yeah, you are, you're an incredible force of nature. And honestly, without you, I don't think I could have done this. The days I was ready to give up, you were like, sister, get back on the horse. So I really, really appreciate you, you know, being the force behind the force, I guess you could say, right? I love you. I love you I too. I love you. Thank you, Trish. Trish. Thank you, Trish. Your dedication is incredible. Oh, we got to, I'm getting two. Okay, a little little inside information. I have Asian glow, and um, I'm drinking too much prosecco right now, so I'm going to water it down and make myself a mimosa. <laughs> Salute. 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 So, all right, so for all of my friends who are out, are out there watching, uh, the link you want to go to is guide, G-U-I-D-E hyphen collective, C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E dot com. Please share everything that we've got. Please share it with your friends and your family. Reach out to anybody who loves travel. If you've got travel bulletin boards that you're a part of or mailing lists or tour buddies you've traveled with in the past, please try to get the word out and connect everybody with what we're doing. Um, it's really critical when we launch that everybody who follows me, if, it would be a great favor to me if you could please uh, help to get the word for the Guide Collective out. We wanna have a great launch. Uh, we'd love to hear your comments. We would love to hear your ideas about themes that you'd like us to write about. So any of that kind of stuff would be fantastic. We're also gonna do some interactive events. Uh, we're gonna do some Ask Me Anythings. We're gonna do some uh, live Zoom events where we'll invite some of you guys follow the guide collective on to participate. So it's really, this is just the beginning. 
we're kind of finding our way. So we'd love anybody's feedback after you guys read the magazine and you look at all the content, tell us uh, what we can do uh, to make this a better experience for all of you. So anyway, I just can't say, tell you how grateful I am for all of you. You guys make my life a better, a better place to be. So thank you so much. All right, y'all. Anybody else have anything to add? Yeah, thanks, Reiner, for all of your work on the website itself and putting all of that together. It looks yes. slick. It's beautiful. I love it. Yes, you did an amazing job, Reiner. Thank you so much for all of your hard work. I'm going to give you a little shimmy. To Reiner. Yes, shimmies. Oh, jazz hands. Jazz hands for Reiner. There you go. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. I really, I really enjoyed it, and I learned a lot. You know, putting the website together. So, excellent. All Cheers right. to Reiner. Cheers to Reiner. Cheers, Cheers to Reiner. Reiner. And the one we're missing from this is Charlie Rosson, who was also very instrumental in doing a lot of the branding and um, logos and visuals. She's not with us uh, on this Zoom, but she was also very, very helpful in this process. Cheers to Charlie. 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 Here's a Charlie. Charlie. All right, you guys, shall we let everybody go? Class is dismissed and then we'll let everybody go ahead and check out the website. I'll go ahead and post on Adventures with Sarah a link immediately. And all of you guys on this call, please go ahead and put the link out on your, uh, it's five alarm fire, you know, fire drill kind of moment here. Let's let everybody know. And actually, as, as Trish and I were saying, this is reminds me of the day my first son was born. I had that same feeling. It's like excitement and terror. <laughs> <laughs> so the baby is now born and it's ready to start crying. So Thank we you. will see you guys all soon. Thank you so much for joining us again on Adventures with Sarah Coffee Chat, a very special edition of Coffee Chat. Thank you, Reiner, for joining me and sharing all of our reminiscence about uh, our days uh, in Rome as students. It was really fun to think about that stuff today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, and to all of you, thank you again for another joining me for another coffee chat. This week, I've got some great things coming up. Uh, we're going to do tomorrow, well, one day this week, we're going to have some guests from England. Sarah Shortreed and Jillian are going to join us. Aww. Next thing on the docket is Wednesday. We're going to have Andrew with Radovic Sellers. We'll do a wine tasting. And then Friday, Dave Fox is joining us from Vietnam. He's a very funny travel writer, and he's going to teach you how to be a travel writer if you'd like to learn. Uh, if you want to join in on the Friday Zoom seminar and ask Dave questions, interact with him, uh, you're going to need to be a Patreon member. So go ahead and check out my Patreon page. Thanks, everybody. And good Adios, luck to the guys. Bye. Ciao. 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 Ciao.